The GameCube is Cool podcast is a recorded and produced show from Toronto, Canada. You can help support the show by going to patreon.com forward slash the GameCube was cool to find our $1 and $5 a month tier. Special thank you to our Patreon supporters at the $5 or above level for the month of June. Ira Bell, Jem McKay, Dan Wagner, Kirsten Cardinal, Jed Winters, and Christopher Valenz. The GameCube, GameCube was cool. Hosted by Mike Lane and Neil Gilbert. So, Mike, I was at the uh, I was at the beach the other day, uh, putting out the the GameCube was cool rock on the Toronto Rock Snake. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you can check that out on Instagram. Uh, I'm talking to the listener now, not you, of course. But uh, I, while I was there, I, I have to give an award to the guy, the most Toronto-looking guy that I've ever seen in my life. He was wearing a Gord Downey T-shirt. It said Gord effing Downey on it while walking up while walking his pit bull. That's pretty Toronto, yeah, and it, and I feel like that's you know not all most of our listeners aren't from Toronto, so they're not going to get that meal. So that's fine. <laughs> if you're not from Toronto and you want to get a little taste of what it's like to live in Toronto, that's probably like the pinnacle of Toronto right there. Is wearing a tragically hip T-shirt, walking your pit bull, which I thought weren't they banned like 20 years ago? What happened to that? Yeah, pretty sure they still are banned, which is kind of sad because it's more about the people who own them than the the dogs themselves. But that's a whole other that's a whole other podcast banned dog podcast <laughs> holy crap that can get very dark very quickly let, let's let, let's bring this back to a, a more upbeat uh, topic mike do you have one there for me yeah i do i uh, was playing sleeping dogs this week well i've been playing sleeping dogs on and off neil since you uh mentioned or we mentioned it on episode 39 the open world and emerated games because sleeping dogs mm. is of course a spiritual successor to the true crime franchise which is on gamecube with a true crime la and true crime new york and man sure. sleeping dogs such a good game very underrated uh i, I never see many people talking about it but i did finally 100 percent it this weekend i platinumed it it's my only my second platinum trophy uh it's just that and uh spider-man Spider-Man was a very good platinum. That's impressive. Good good job on that. Did you platinum that on on PS3 then or PS4? PS4. It's on PS4. They made a like a remaster or a remake or Yeah, the 20 they made it 2 years later, 2014. They put it out, just fixed a lot of stuff, added a bunch of DLC in there as well, so it's uh it's the more definitive way to play the game. Nice. Do you know what percentage of people like what the what the platinum percentage is on that game? 2.1. Wow. That's very low. But it's a big game, right? Like, how many hours would you say that that took you? That took me 35 hours to do uh, for that playthrough. Uh, But it's because I played... This is my fourth time playing through it. Oh, so that was the playthrough, and you finally got your last uh, trophy, and that's how you popped the platinum. So that makes sense. So you've probably probably played it then for close to 200 hours? Uh, I'd say probably 100, maybe. 100, Because I haven't, like... you know, I think I've only beaten it, like actually beaten the game once before, and the other times I've, you know, kind of just sped through uh, some stuff. But yeah, this was the this is the first time of it going like an in depth playthrough. So uh, yeah, that was that was fun. I guess now you'll give it a bit of a break now before going back to it again. Do you think you'll ever play it again? I think I think I will. It's it's a very easily replayable game. There's so much stuff to do. I'm gonna take a break for sure, but uh, I'm sure in a couple of years I'll pick it up again. Nice. Maybe one day that they'll make a sequel. Who knows. Who knows? Mm. But let's go to some. Let's go back to the depressing topics, Neil. Okay, cool. Uh, I'm all about that. <laughs> uh, uh, you and I both watched Bo Burnham's Inside. We did uh, last week, and 
I, for one, thought it was just a masterpiece, phenomenal. If anyone doesn't know what we're talking about, Bo Burnham, who is a comedian slash musician slash actor now, uh, slash director, I guess, Mm -hmm. he's everything. Uh, He just put out a comedy, in quotes, special on Netflix called Inside, and it's all done by him. He Mm -hmm. edited it, he filmed it, all in this one room. And it's almost an hour and a half long. And just as a production like value like part of it, it's amazing. Yeah, you you nailed it. It is a masterpiece in terms of the cinematography, if, if you want to call it that. I'm not a film buff. I don't know what I'm talking about. But I just know that like the fact that it was done by one person, by one, one man, he's 30 years old, is incredible. And he's been doing this for a long time, internet video and uh, doing comedy shows and movies, which is not the same as doing a a film project that took him a year to produce from the sounds of it to write produce and record and then put out on Netflix Bo Burnham is a comedian that Mike and I have a, a pretty big history with uh, I first heard of him back in 2013 when after one of our sushi lunches we uh, one of our friends said hey let's go home and watch uh, Bo Burnham what like the comedy special and that was his might have been a 2012 comedy special, I guess, or 2011. Mm-hmm. It had come out a year or two before we saw it. And honestly, that, that that almost like, I don't want to say it changed my life, but it was one of the more like life-altering comedy shows that I'd ever seen. Just that somebody our age could be this funny because me growing up, the majority of the comedians that I watched were guys that were far older than us, like Jerry Seinfeld and Jim Carrey and Adam Sandler. It was weird to see a comedian who was our age, she was 20, and his jokes were hilarious and the songs were all expertly written. And then, you know, jump forward to 2000 and, uh, 2015 or 16, we went to go see him live in Toronto, mm-hmm. which was one of the best shows I've ever seen. Comedy, oh, yeah. comedy or music. It was one of the best shows I think I've ever seen. And now this one on Netflix was, it is hard to call it a comedy because it's very dark. Uh, the songs are hilarious though. The music is incredibly good. If you get a chance, check out on YouTube, Bo Burnham inside. Some of the songs are on YouTube check out one or two i highly recommend welcome to the internet or uh white woman's instagram when he did each one of those like shots those like two second shots of those instagram poses Mm -hmm. all i could think of in my mind was like that took him a day yeah to do that yes (laughs) like two second shot setting up like balloons and lights and like flowers to look like a like a set basically a photo set and then film it and then crazy uh, yeah that's all i could think of too is how long did this take you to do (laughs) but hey during lockdown people will start the craziest things like a gamecube podcast mike like a GameCube podcast where you can write in and ask us opening or ask us to cover an opening topic, which uh, patron Jed did this week, Neil. What's his what's his question? Sure thing. So Jed wants to know, is it possible for anyone to make a live action Nintendo movie slash TV show? What character would you need to bring into it? And uh, what is like a rough plot that we would make uh, that would actually be interesting to watch? So the whole video game movie TV show question debate has been a thing in our community probably since the mid-2000s, I guess, with movies like Doom, Prince of Persia. The original Super Mario Bros. movie. The original Super Mario Bros. movie is the infamous video game movie. Uh, Yeah, that's true. And they're they're traditionally very bad, or at least at best good. But we're going to make today a movie based on... I went with... I wrote up a little bit of a plot here. It's based in the Mushroom Kingdom. In a world. In a, this summer. In a world. <laughs> so I'll, I'll write out the plot here, Mike, and you let me know if this is any yeah. good, okay? And then I'll let you share yours. Okay. So everybody sit back, you know, get yourself some popcorn, pause this podcast if you must, and uh, come on back. 
All right, so mine, I came up with a show. It's actually more of like a Netflix series. I didn't come out with a movie because I think that this could actually work and it needs to be multiple episodes. You can't get it all done in two hours. Sure. So the show uh, is set in the Mushroom Kingdom where we start the first episode with Mario, Peach uh, in their apartment making lunch or whatever. Uh, Luigi comes in to announce that he quit his job as a real estate agent. Uh, Waluigi pops in after that. Wah. Wah. Pops in to borrow Mario's food processor <laughs> uh, to make wood chips. Uh, basically, I'm, I'm I'm stealing Seinfeld here. If you can't already tell, uh, Wario then pops in to find out if Waluigi has uh, received the food processor yet. He then says, "Hello, Mario." To which Mario says, "Hello, Wario." Shortly <laughs> after Wario and Waluigi leave the apartment, Gino from, of course, Super Mario and the Seven Star wow. Saga. Yes, yeah, so I'm bringing Gino back. He comes in. He comes actually out of a painting of uh, Peach's castle, which is hanging in their living room. Mm-hmm. And he then goes to kidnap Mario, Peach, and Yoshi, who's, of course, their dog, uh, leaving the painting uh, glowing a faint pink color. Wario and Luigi return back to see if Mario has any logs that they may borrow to uh, make wood chips in uh, said food processor. Uh, They notice that uh, Mario, Peach, and Yoshi are nowhere to be found, but the painting in the living room is glowing, and they can hear the cries uh, of their friends uh, coming out of the painting. So what what you can get uh, what you can see here is that uh, it's going to be a little bit like Super Mario sixty four where they're jumping in and out of paintings. However, it's starring Wario and Waluigi. Two characters that we both uh, have very fond memories with and we both love, of course. Uh, So basically, the entire series is going to be broken up into seven or eight episodes in which Waluigi and Wario are jumping in and out of paintings that go to other Mario franchises. So they're going to go to Peach's Castle, a painting of Hyrule Temple. Uh, Eventually, they'll land in somewhere in Fire Emblem. However, I want the entire Fire Emblem episode to be in the art style of Sticking Around, the 90s TV show. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> and I want the rest of the series to be in really good anime. So, basically I want it to like flip on its head. So like Mario and everybody like like think of Castlevania, that sure. level of anime. And they're going to they'll go to like DK Jungle, uh, Distant Planet from Pikmin, The Great Fox from Star Fox, and then Samus's ship. Uh, but what what's going to happen, Mike, is that the very last episode, they'll end up at Bowser's castle, where Bowser has built this giant racetrack with go-karts, and he's kidnapped uh, Peach, Mario, and Yoshi to go go-karting with them. And this whole series is basically a prequel to Mario Kart, explaining, explaining once and for all why all the Mushroom Kingdom characters have banded together to race karts, because that's never really quite been explained, how... All of these characters can set aside their differences for a few hours to race go-karts uh, for fun. That's true. They, they never actually explained it. Not like uh, Mario Party where they usually have some kind of backstory. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, the kart racers, they usually just, they're like, okay, we're, we're racing now. Yeah. Yeah. There's absolutely no story behind it. So I'm, I'm trying to give this a little bit of a story while Waluigi and Wario can have a little bit of an adventure because we've never seen them on any sort of adventure, especially not together. I love that. I'm uh, I'm a big fan. Uh, I, I I'll support it. I'll yeah, put thank- my money behind oh, it. Oh, oh, thank you so much. <laughs> I appreciate that very much. What's uh, what's your plot for your Mario or Nintendo show? Well, I did not go as in depth as you did. Uh, clearly, you you had an idea. You ran with it. I love it. <laughs> clearly, I had some time at work one day to uh, <laughs> come up with something. My idea is actually a bit different. I would love to see a TV series as well. I went with that format. Uh, I would love to see an Earthbound slash Mother 3 type show. Oh. Because for me, I think 
I would want a Nintendo franchise or character that doesn't have much backstory already. So I like that you chose Wario and Waluigi because mm-hmm. um, I really don't need like a Mario type show or movie or a Zelda type because in my mind, I've already gotten some great stories from those characters just sure. through gameplay. And I don't really need that retold to me. So I would love to have something that focuses on the Earthbound Mother 3 world because it is so expansive and it's the timeline of it is hundreds of years right? Uh, because I think Ness is first and Lucas comes like hundreds of years later because he's some descendant of Ness. I forget how it all works. It's no one's no one's played Earthbound. I'm convinced of that. <laughs> <laughs> and I think you could actually kind of make this work in the indie space. You know, you don't have to put millions of dollars behind it. You can just make it a small show uh, with some, you know, relatively basic animation one season and see what happens. You know, I'm, I'm always of the opinion that if you make good content, people will find it. Mm-hmm. So I think that's what Nintendo has to do for to have a successful kind of show. You know, mm-hmm. make good content for forgotten or less talked about franchises. And that'll act as a pretty low-risk venture. You know, you don't have to put this massive marketing budget behind it. You don't have to make, make this... Uh, you don't have to hire these high-profile voice actors. Uh, for, uh, you know, or, like, just not even... Like, hire real voice actors. Don't hire these, you know, uh, just movie celebrities to, to be yeah. in it. Yeah, give, I mean, the, the, we these characters don't have voices, really. So exactly. you, could, you could give it to nobodies, and the, the Nintendo fans would not care. It doesn't have to be Chris Pratt voicing Ness, for, you know, <laughs> just as an example. Uh, what would be the art style of the show, Mike? Would this be a live action? I, I picture Earthbound being a good claymated show. Yeah, that's, um, that's exactly what I was thinking, Neil. Yeah. Exactly what I was thinking. I was thinking that Earthbound could be um, a claymation style-ish show. Mm-hmm. Like Pengu. Like Pengu, or more recently, there's the new Marvel show Modok, which is actually really good. I don't like a lot of Marvel shows or a lot of Marvel things in general sometimes, <laughs> but but I I uh, I do really love uh, the new Modok uh, show because why would you make a show about Modok? And that's kind of how I feel. That's kind of how I feel. Nintendo has to do it right. They have to do this relatively like in quotes low budget uh, TV series of a more, a lesser known character and lesser known franchise mm-hmm. and just see what happens with it. Right. Again, if it's good, people will flock to it. Yeah. Uh, I, I need to check out Modoc. It'll be hard to watch that show without thinking of Remy from, <laughs> from, uh, from Ratatouille and that, but I definitely want to check it out eventually. But yeah, that is my, that's kind of what I think. I don't have, I don't have my plot. I don't have my first, my pilot episode that's okay. yet, that's okay. uh, <laughs> but I'm, I'm thinking it would be, you know, it would be a not darker per se, but just like a more serious tone within R- it. Rated T, maybe. Maybe rated T, exactly. Mm, I like exactly. That. That, that. That sounds really good. Let's go to Netflix with that next week. <laughs> Thank you so much, Jed, from Patreon for writing in. Don't forget, supporters at the $5 or above level to send in your opening topic so Mike and I can talk about it on a future episode. All right, so ladies and gentlemen, it's time for the mailbag! Ladies and gentlemen, if you want to leave us a review, comment, or I guess any kind of feedback for the show, you can do so on whatever podcast service that you listen to us on. You can also find us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. We will read your comments on the next episode that we can, just like who wrote in today? Tim R. Tabor123 wrote in on Apple Podcasts with our first ever two-star review, Neil. Mm. Uh-oh. Exploring the middle the middle rating system there. Not just a one, <laughs> not just a five. I like that. That that shows some creativity here. So let's hear what uh, Tim has to say. So Tim says that we are creatively confused, Neil. Uh, I think starting a podcast celebrating an entire console library but not actually playing all the games is weird. This particular angle seems half-hearted and not entirely thought out. It feels like the host wanted to do a general gaming podcast but slapped the GameCube game box reading thing together last minute to try and stand out in a crowded field. 
Audio quality is good even in episode one, and that's hard to do, so I won't give a one star on that basis. Lot lot to unpack here. Sure. <laughs> I have I have quite a bit of a quite a bit of a response here for you, Tim. Uh, it's not gonna be too bad. I actually have I was thinking about this a little bit this week because I did read this before we came on, and one of the things that I wanted to say was calling our show half-hearted. I don't want you to feel sorry for us, but we do put a lot of effort into the show. I would say combined between Mike and I, we probably put what, ten hours into each episode? At least, at least yeah. that. We do put yeah. quite a bit of uh, quite a bit of research time for researching the show in, editing, promoting the show, uh, going back and forth on ideas on what to do with the show. And yeah, we don't play every single game. I feel like we should probably reiterate that because I think we said it in some earlier episodes where we're not going to play all the games because we both have full-time jobs. We don't have that much free time. We also, that's an incredible amount of money to spend. Do you also on. really want us to play all those five, 500? Do you, like, I'm sorry that we don't play, we didn't play Mark Davis's Pro Bass Challenge 2003, <laughs> you know? Like, it. <laughs> yeah. there's, there's tons of these games, you know, we just had the puzzle episode and there's a bunch of those that we hadn't played before because I don't need to play Super Bubble Pop because I can look at it for five seconds and know what this game is, yeah. you know? And because there are a lot of games like that on the GameCube, of mm-hmm. course we play the big games. Of course we play the games that we will dedicate entire episodes to because those are extremely important games often and we often own them as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, that's as our friend of the show, Dan, said, it's very gatekeeping mentality to say, oh, uh, sorry, you haven't played them all? Well, y- your, your opinion isn't valid. Yeah, no, exactly. It's it's true. I mean, there are a lot of games on the console, and there's people out there, like we talked to RetroWolf88, who owns all of these games. We he don't... hasn't even played them all. No, yeah, that's the thing, is you talk about some people here who have these massive collections of games, and they haven't played all the games. They certainly haven't beaten all the games that they own. We would lo- I would Look, I would love to have said that I've beaten every single video if game. If someone wants I... to pay me $50 an hour, play uh, play all the, all the games. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I'd love that. Yeah, please pay me my, my salary. I'll quit my job, and I'll play these games so I can talk about them better i need to sometimes stop playing games and start researching them so that i can learn a little yep. bit about them because i don't think people would really want to hear me talk about my opinion on every single game it's also good to go back and research a little bit about you know the development of the game or uh, just commercials from the game or what other reviewers were saying and these are things that i can't find just by playing you know mark davis's bass challenge or something and, and also this goes back to at the at the end here he says uh I'm glad he said our audio quality is good, but episode one's audio quality was not good in our I opinion. Need, I need to nip that in the butt, Mike, because there, there's 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 a cult growing now, and I don't like it. I don't want to hear that people like our first episode, because... Please don't review us based off our first episode. <laughs> Please li- listen to something newer. Yeah, I don't like... I, I, I'm very worried about people that think that our first episode's audio quality is good. So <laughs> I'd like to know, Tim, if you did listen to some of our more recent episodes and... Please compare the two, please. All right, well, anyway, I mean, we're going to have to try and uh, cut off anybody that likes episode one. That's strike one, everybody out there. If I hear three people, strike three, I'm cutting that episode from the list. It's going to be off Spotify forever. We're so close, but uh, <laughs> uh, I let, let's see if next week we have a uh, a five star review again, Neil, to to you know bring a bring it back up. Someone who listened to a newer episode. <laughs> okay, let, let's try to even it all out now, Mike. Let's see if we can do it today with episode fifty three of the GameCube is Cool podcast. We have new episodes every Thursday on all the major podcast services. We are the number one GameCube podcast on the internet, and we're here to look back on all five hundred and fifty five North American GameCube games one by one sometimes 12 by 12. So far, we have covered 265 GameCube games. You can go ahead and visit thegamecubewascool.com to check out all the things we've been working on. The website was developed by our very own Mike Lane. 
And that's me. That's him. If you would like to support the show, you can find us on Patreon. We are The GameCube is Cool. Every dollar helps us grow the show, and supporters at the $5 or above level get their names read in the credits and the option to submit an opening topic for the show. If you're looking for a free way to support the show, you can also give us a rating or review on whatever service that you listen to, and then go ahead and follow us on Instagram. We are at The GameCube Pod. Last week, we covered a bunch of puzzle games like Tetris, Eggmania, and Bomberman. If you haven't already, go back and check that out. This week, we're calling the episode games that Neil really wants to play. Uh, these are games that uh, when we were going through the list of GameCube games to cover, uh, we didn't really know exactly where to fit them. And there were actually a few games in there that I really want to play. Mm-hmm. So we decided to make an episode around it. Bit of a hodgepodge episode, you know? Yeah, yeah. A little bit of just a grab bag of uh, it, this episode's going to have terrible SEO. Let's put it that <laughs> way. <laughs> and we did a similar episode to this uh, for the Ribbit King uh, one, Neil. It was a strange game. So we had a bunch of random games on there like Metal Arms and Ribbit King uh, mm-hmm. that we didn't really feel fit anywhere nicely and we also wanted to talk about some of those games more just like these games yeah these games do fit into other episodes we could have wedged them in but these ones are strange enough games that i was interested in at least when when i heard about them and after doing some research i'm a little less interested in a few of them (laughs) but that's okay uh and then the second half of the episode sort of to close it out is going to be mike and i celebrating 20 years of being friends Mm-hmm. 20th anniversary, just like the GameCube's 20th anniversary coming up in November. That's right. We are as old. Our friendship is as old as the GameCube and the Game Boy Advance. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. And this would be called our China anniversary, Mike. If uh, You know how like in weddings, you know, with weddings, uh, yeah, every yeah. every year is like a different material. This year is our China it's anniversary. The China one. Okay, yeah. that's cool. I didn't know that. that. I learned yeah. some today. There you go. We're, a, we're an educational podcast. That's right. All right, so let, let's kick it off with our first game for today, which is Ultimate Muscle Legends versus New Generation, which was released on November 22nd, 2002. This is developed by AKI Corporation, published by Bandai. This is a GameCube exclusive. Today it prices from $200 to the limit, depending on the condition, and it rates in the high sevens. So this game is about average, according to critics. This is how I know this game is the fact that it is a very expensive game and has been since I can remember. I always remember seeing this on whether it's in uh, game stores, like, you know, behind the the sh- behind the glass mm-hmm. uh, or people talking about it. It's it's one of those games that I think has always been very expensive. Obviously, now is even more expensive mm-hmm. than than usual. But yeah, that's that was my only knowledge of the game before. Uh, we started this podcast and then I, I had been doing some research. I talked to a couple friends who were Ultimate Muscle fans uh, and, and originally I thought about putting this on the wrestling episode, but I felt this didn't fit as well with the wrestling because it was also kind of an anime fighter that we talked about with the Dragon Ball Z ones. I was going to say, I think that we also considered putting this in the Dragon Ball Z episode because it, did. It, this looks like a Dragon Ball Z game. It does. It, it looks, it's literally a Dragon Ball Z game mixed with WWE. Like, that's the best way to describe this game. Mm-hmm. And so I'm kind of glad that we actually have it here alone to talk about it because it is relatively unique. First of all, it is a cell shaded game, Neil. Mm-hmm. Uh, a, quite an early cell shaded game being in 2002, uh, which is, uh, you know, before Wind Waker. Obviously, Wind Waker wasn't the first, but it's kind of was what made cell shading really popular right. when that came out. Uh, and it, 
I don't love the graphics, I gotta say. It looks a little dated. It looks like the Dragon Ball Z Budokai games a little bit. Like, it looks like a similar engine. The games are both published by Bandai. They're not developed by the same uh, companies. Now, AKI Corporation may sound familiar to a lot of the N64 fans out there because that studio actually developed the WWF No Mercy games on N64, which are classics, which is one of the reasons why I really wanted to play this game was because I have very fond memories of going to Blockbuster with my brother back in the day and renting WWF No Mercy and playing those on the weekends and March break. We talked about that in the wrestling episode. So that's what makes me think that the game is actually going to be pretty fun to play. It's just that huge price tag is keeping me away from it. Yeah. And do you have any memory of Ultimate Muscle being on TV when we were kids? Because I don't. I don't. I, know don't. This, uh, I think it might It might have been in North America. Might might not have been in on Canadian channels, or at least ones that we could find easily. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was, like you said, it was originally an anime uh, that I know was obviously in Japan. Right. And could have been in North America as well. Uh, uh, not actually a lot of information about this game out there it was i had to find a lot of stuff on reddit <laughs> yes about this game it's definitely uh, a cult classic because it's not talked about very much other than price no it's it's really hard to find much information on it i i kind of had to go just by play like let's plays and video yeah. reviews which had six thousand views like the game did not does not have much of a fan base at least not here in north america that's for sure it did spawn uh two expansions to the game which were uh, only on playstation 2 and playstation portable so this was the only gamecube only nintendo ultimate muscle uh, experience at all uh one of my favorite things about the game though is the voice acting <laughs> yeah I, I think it's so it's cheesy to the max dude oh and yeah <laughs> it, it reminded me a lot of uh if you've ever played beautiful joe uh very anime cartoony comic booky like similar to that and i was actually listening to the announcer while the wrestling was going on and i was also getting vibes to like pokemon stadium where i found myself repeating what the announcer said it just like i can see that game having such a like a brain worm or an earworm where you know you hear it a bunch of times and then you're going to repeat it to your friends at school or something yeah, I agree. I agree. It was very much like like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the character designs themselves, though, uh, they are very off putting for me. Really? Uh, like there's because there's a bunch of them that are kind of human slash animal mixes. Ah, okay. There's the walrus uh, guy who looks really scary. If I was a kid playing that, I'd be like, "What is this?" Yeah. There's also the main guys, I guess, from the the anime who are in. Uh, ultimate muscle which uh the game uh which are these kind of fish hybrid people Mm. they have these massive like fish lips almost very hard (laughs) to describe but it's very off-putting check it out google it sure Uh, ultimate muscle characters some of them are uh nightmare fuel for me (laughs) (laughs) i actually did find a character in here that i like i think it would be my favorite uh character which Uh, one's that sure thing so if you do pick up this game there are 30 characters in the game and unlockable 444 items and figurines to collect so it reminded me a little bit of melee in that sense where there's actually a ton to unlock so my favorite playable character in the game is one by the name of canadian man Oh, yes, Canadian man. We, yes. we love him. Yes. Now, this would be like, a, I guess, a Japanese interpretation of a Canadian in a superhero form. So he's a very large, very powerful uh, man from Canada. He lives as a lumberjack. Of course. Uh, but also owns his own gym called Canadian Man Gym. 
so good life fitness is where yeah. I'm, which is the, the canadian gym everywhere everyone has a good life fitness bag here in canada it's what you get when you become a citizen uh, and his body is covered like the canadian flag uh, the yep. red and white yeah he uh, okay yeah he was one of the ones who who i enjoyed uh yeah. I, i'm glad you brought him up <laughs> yeah classic classic anytime anytime you get like goofy characters like this in an anime fighting game similar to one punch man i yeah i, I get i get a little choked up i must it's, say it's pretty rare to honestly have Canadian characters in a lot of things, so it's always cool to see them in here. Uh, I think 1080 has a Canadian character as well, mm-hmm. who's like very stereotypical. Yes. Uh, and so it's it's always these like stereotypical. Why are we always lumberjacks? You know, like why are we we're always dressed in plaid? Oh, that that's true. That part's actually true. I I only own plaid flannels. The last thing I want to say about this is the uh, the stupid uh, the stupid commentators. I don't know if you saw gameplay, Neil, but basically every single time you land a move or one of your special moves, the commentators appear, just these 2D commentators appear from the left and right uh, going, oh, like, like, you know, with their mouths <laughs> open yep. and they just come in and they go out and it's, you know, at first when they do, it, it's like, oh, that's kind of cool. You see the commentators, uh, but it happens every single special move. So it gets mm. very repetitive. Yeah, that would get annoying. That would get annoying very quickly. <laughs> yeah. And they're all yelling. They're always yelling. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this game's hilarious. I still want to pick it up someday. I yes. think I'd like I'd like to add this to my collection. This is not one of the games that I changed my tone on. If someone gives it to you instead of you paying $200 to get it, I think it's uh it's definitely a good purchase. I hope no one spends $200 on a video <laughs> game for me. Please wait until the GameCube prices plummet and we can start collecting again. All right, let's read the back of the case. But first, Victor, hit us with that sweet jingle. It's time to read what's on the back of the case. There's things written on the back of the case. Let's read them. And now we're reading the back of the case. Many years ago, King Muscle and the legendary Muscle League saved the people of Earth by battling against an evil horde of villains who were attempting to conquer the planet. After 28 years, the evil villains have returned, but this time, the legends can't fight them alone. They need the help of a whole new group of younger superheroes, the new generation. Now, the wise and experienced trainer of both generations, Meat, has decided to pit the two generations against each other to decide once and for all which generation is the strongest of all time. Ooh. Meat. These guys had some crazy names. <laughs> it is the most like anime sounding plot ever. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and then on the back of the case as well, it says "Catch it on the Fox Box," which I guess is an American uh, station, like Fox Kids. Oh, probably. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, let's move on to the next game of the day, which is Freaky Flyers, which was released on August fourth, two thousand and three. This game was developed by many studios. It was developed by Midway Studios, San Diego for Xbox and PS2. Point of View Inc. Uh, developed the GameCube version. This game is published by Midway, and as I said, it's also on PlayStation Two and Xbox. The GameCube version prices at around eighty dollars today, while the Xbox and PS2 version are quite a bit more affordable, between twenty to forty dollars. This game rates about a 7 out of 10. Now, Freaky Flyers would be categorized as more of a racing game. Uh, Think Diddy Kong Racing on N64, but it's only the plane levels. Exactly. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And sometimes feels a little too derivative of Diddy Mm -hmm. Kong in that sense. I almost thought this was a rare game, like Rare Studios game. Just looking at it, looking at the humor, the characters. Didn't you like think this kind of had some rare vibes? I definitely did. That's uh, it has some rare rare vibes, but it also has a lot of midway vibes. Uh, in the sense mm. of like, I'm thinking, you know, NHL hits and, and that uh, that whole arcade sports uh, field because 
you know, those were so, so zany, you know, so wacky. And mm-hmm. Freaky Flyers is the definition of wacky. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> the story is nuts. The, uh, the characters are, they look like those caricatures that like a street artist does for you yes yeah like like at a carnival when you you and your girlfriend go and they draw you with your big teeth and your giant forehead or whatever it is yeah and there's another uh i believe there's another canadian uh a caricature kind of guy in this one uh or at least a midwestern like nor like kind of uh lumberjack-esque uh guy that they have here so you know another uh, uh another canadian stereotype that we see I feel like we need to set the record straight. I've never cut down a tree. <laughs> <laughs> but clearly, as uh, some of these uh, these people have. <laughs> sure. No, absolutely. And of all the racing games that we talk about on GameCube, like we had to make, I think there's four different racing episodes of our show. And this, this is one of the only flying racing games. They're all cars. Yeah, one of the very few flight sims. Uh, I think there's Top Gun and there's <laughs> uh, obviously Rogue, uh, uh, Rogue Leader. But yep. other than that, there's very few, and I'm not really sure why. Maybe it was a little difficult to develop, uh, because with Star Fox, it's a bit different because it's on rails. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like this, just these kind of free roam in quotes, uh, flying games seem to be few and far between on the GameCube, or and, and I think just especially in this generation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really wish that more developers did copy Diddy Kong Racing, since there was yeah. no there was no sequel to that game. And the flying part, like I said, was the best part of that game by far, at least for me. I, f- I really love the flying part because we already had Mario Kart to race carts. So I, I really was looking for something different in that generation. Yeah. And and this game has that. And I didn't know that there I didn't know this game existed until we started doing research for the show. And in, in the game as well, you wouldn't know this by looking at the cover, but there's also a dogfight mode, like dueling. Yes. Sim- similar to like that Snoopy uh Snoopy and the Red Baron game that I talked about on one of our last episodes. This seems like a Neil game for sure. I had actually heard about this game many years before because I think I saw it in a game store and the cover art is quite, uh, <laughs> it's quite interesting. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's, uh, you know, uh, uh, very 2003, I guess, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. oh, yeah. <laughs> but, um, uh, I I was like, well, what is this game? And I saw it was Midway, and obviously I knew who Midway was. Mm-hmm. And I really just kind of knew Midway for their arcade games and their uh, NHL hits and, and Blitz games. So sure. when I kind of dove into this a bit more, uh, I was like, oh, this this seems like a pretty cool game. I, I like the fact that you can actually fly. I like the humor uh, mm-hmm. a lot. You know, it really makes the game stand out. All the characters have these very bold and wacky personalities. Uh, mm-hmm. Probably wouldn't fly today. <laughs> but uh, no pun intended. Yeah, no, there you go. <laughs> but it, you know, it definitely was part of this kind of jackass era for sure. Sure. Uh, you know, definitely some not very nice stereotypes. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, and it's it did get the T rating uh, due to the dialogue. I think. Yeah. Uh, the yeah. I did like a lot that between races you get a lot of the subplot and characterization, hmm. which was pretty cool. So they actually had these long animated sequences of the characters interacting with each other. And I thought that helped a lot to establish this world because Mm -hmm. we've talked about a lot of games in past episodes that have that are basically new IPs with new characters and they don't do a good job of introducing the characters and kind of giving them any kind of backstory and giving them a reason for you to want to play them. They kind of just have these characters like and I'm thinking like Wave Race is a perfect example. Right. Yeah. Wave Race and 1080 Snowboarding, these games that are just standalone racing games that aren't Mario Kart, which... We know all the characters in Mario Kart, but when your game is just going to be racing and it's completely new characters, we need to know a little bit more about the characters to get attached to them. Yeah. 
Otherwise, they're just faceless characters that we don't really care about. You need to develop an attachment to the characters, and I couldn't name you any characters from Freaky Flyers, even even after watching gameplay. And I still want to buy the game. Like I, I still think this would be a terrific game to pick up, and another one of these hidden gems that mm-hmm. no one talks about anymore. Um, I think the problem and the reason why it's only 7 out of 10 is, one, it's der- derivative of Diddy Kong Racing. Sure. Uh, it doesn't really do anything different in that sense. Uh, it's very repetitive. Mm-hmm. you'll definitely get bored after an hour or so yeah and i think the biggest issue of all is the fact that it's honestly just with the wrong company um midway yeah. was about to be bankrupt uh mm-hmm. within a year basically and they're yeah. creating this new ip late in the game they obviously wouldn't be able to support the marketing and the distribution of it uh and before that the game has been development for over six years wow. which at the time is you know six years now is pretty standard almost pretty average yeah, yeah but six years for a kart racer back then is like almost like inex- inexcusable the fact that's that like, it even came out is actually a miracle <laughs> i know that that's almost four to five years too long from, yeah. from this generation and also it missed the big mark of kart racers at the time which yes. was it didn't have four player multiplayer which is something that i think is a huge letdown mm-hmm. uh, and because it i don't think this game really knew what it was supposed to be at first because in my mind uh one thing that we didn't we didn't talk about is the fact that you're, it's not a linear path to the to the end. Right. So when you're when you're racing, you can actually take a lot of different paths to get to the end point. Mm-hmm. Uh, just as long as you get there, and as long as you find the shortcuts. So I read some stuff on Reddit, and uh, there's actually an old IGN review about before this was coming out, <laughs> and uh, it seemed like this was not going to be just a kart racer. It seemed like the kart racing was actually going to be secondary, and this was going to be more of an adventure. Uh, uh, style uh, game. And even looking at the box art too now, I kind of subscribe to that theory. It yeah. seems like they, because, you know, there's so many animated sequences and a lot of care and love put into this game. Mm-hmm. I, I can't really believe that it was just going to be uh, a kart racer like, like this. Yeah, it seems like that they were going more the Crash Bandicoot, yes. uh, the Crash Bandicoot racing path as opposed to the Mario Kart path where, yeah, the Crash Bandicoot games, which we talked about, the racing games did go out of the cart a little bit and became more of like a 3D platformer Yes, because you couldn't just make, this is the thing, is that uh, developers didn't want to just make a kart racing game anymore because they were trying to do everything. Yep. And they did come close. Like there is an adventure mode, there's the racing mode, and then there's the the dog fighting mode. So right away there, like, I think that's enough for a game from this generation. Just, with... Those modes weren't really fleshed out. That was the right. problem. Yeah. They were all very skin deep and yeah. didn't go too far into it, which is too bad. But I think that the, the flight racing would be enough for me to still want to pick up the game. Yeah. That's very, very fair. Cool. I'm ready to read the back of the case now, Mike. Is that everything you have? Let's do it. Okay, cool. The back of the case starts already with feeling freaky. <laughs> All right. It's time to get your freak on with the most enticing <laughs> characters you have ever played with in the first and only fully open interactive 3D racing video game. And then 14 alluring characters plus dozens of hidden characters, 12 massive and enticing tracks, many enthralling modes of play, exploration, dogfighting, and racing, unique and mesmerizing minigames, over one hour of intriguing animated movies, and original music that takes you through the game's characters' spellbinding storyline. Yeah, one hour, Neil. Like it's a lot. lot. That is a lot. That's a ton. That's like (laughs) almost as much. That's probably more than Mario Sunshine. Yes, it it is a hundred (laughs) percent more than Mario Sunshine. (laughs) That's crazy. Yeah. All right, moving on to our next game on our list today, which is Groove Rider Slot Car Thunder, was released on September twenty eighth, two thousand and three. 
This game was developed by King of the Jungle. It's published by Encore in North America and Play It in Europe. This game is also on Xbox and PlayStation 2. It prices at around $100 on GameCube, but you can find it for less than $50 on the other consoles. And this game rates about a 5 out of 10, which is pretty generous considering that most other, like I found in our GameCube anthology book that we referenced, gave it a 1 star. Oh, yikes. Yeah. Yeah, this game, so just just right off the bat, I want to say that this game is very much like the fishing games that we covered two episodes ago yeah. in the sense of why don't you just play like the slot racers? If you're a kid and you have, you know, if you have the ability to have slot racers or even Hot Wheels... Yeah. It's going to be a lot more fun than this game. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Do they make slot racing cars anymore? I'm I, so out of it now. I, I know slot racers are actually very big in, in Britain and, and, and Europe. Okay. Uh, just based on, I did a bit of like diving into this game, and uh, it seems to be pretty popular there still. But uh, I know it was less popular definitely in North America, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, obviously Hot Wheels being the... Uh, the, the, more, dominant, the dominant the dominant toy for sure yeah. i had a slot racing car set when i was a kid it stopped working like when i was really young I so me I, too. yeah they, they didn't work for very long basically if you don't know what we're talking about it's like an electric car set where the cars are on this track and it, it's a circuit like an electric circuit so the car is hooked up to the the engine is hooked up to the track which is electrified and that makes the engine go so when you hold down your remote the car goes along this electrified track almost like a vinyl record going on yeah, like that's a, a good way to put it yeah yeah like a vinyl record mixed with like a, an electric train set if yeah. you will and this is basically a video game based on that toy concept yep. which is really interesting and they were really close with this game um just looking at it like they the, the graphics are okay uh the slot cars are all based in like these kind of virtual house settings which i love like we talked about on the hot wheels episode i just want hot wheels games to be based as if they are actual toys there's something about video games that are based in reality where you're like a miniature version uh, in, in a house or something like, yeah, like, like the army men game. I was about or, to say, yeah. Yeah. Or like Chibi Robo, which we haven't covered yet on this, on this show, but something like that where you're just this little guy in this big house, which we can relate to. I, I love games <laughs> like that. I'm really upset that they do not have a GameCube on one of their tracks. Like, uh, yeah. uh, was that, which one was that? Uh, was road, that a, road trip. Road trip. Your your favorite. Your oh, new favorite game that had a, a GameCube yet. on on the uh, on one yeah. of the tracks. I'm like, yes, every single one should have a GameCube because every <laughs> child should have a GameCube in their room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it would have been awesome, or even like something to do with video games, or like Nintendo. Like a, maybe the kid has a, an N64 in in the yeah. in the room or something. That would have been really cool. This just looks like the most skin deep game I've ever seen. It's mm-hmm. it's so. Like I again, love the concept of it, love the idea, love the backgrounds, love the the the, the settings, but it just is very bland. Yeah, it's very know? mad. Like it's a very much you play it once, you or you watch a let's play, and like nothing caught me, nothing caught my eye, nothing was like, oh, this is neat, or this is something I think I'd want to play. Like it looked boring to play. It sounded boring to play. Like the sound is just the sound of cars, like an electrical car on a on a plastic track, and I don't think there's any music being played. I couldn't tell if it was because of the Let's Play I was watching, if they just cut the audio to avoid copyright strikes, but it wasn't fun to watch or listen to either. So yeah, I actually found a great uh, Metacritic review from uh, Game and Nikki, uh, which they gave it a 5 out of 10, but it was really funny. It was like, it's a sad world when budget gaming is synonymous with poke your eye out with a dull stick. <laughs> <laughs> that was their review of this game, which is probably accurate. Yeah, this game I've... Again, no, because of its price point. I, I always see this amongst 
uh, GameCube fans when they pick up, you know, some of their last titles. This seems to be one that, that oh, usually really? ends up being one of the last ones because huh. it is quite expensive yeah. uh, and quite rare to find as well. Um, it's I don't think many copies were made. And so I'm actually surprised that it's only $100. I think this game will go up quite a bit mm-hmm. in the future because the, the print run looks to be very small. I think it's only selling well, too, because, or at least, one, because the print run, you're right, was small, but also just because of how unique it is. Like, there's yes. nothing there's nothing like this at all. Like, even in current-gen video games, I can't think of any slot racing video game. No, it's... I wish I wish they would put slot racing as a mode into some of these kart racers. Yeah. It would be very, very cool, again, to have that setting. Uh, I know Mario, the new uh, live circuit, whatever that's called, like the mm-hmm. new Mario Kart... Uh, that kind of does it in the sense of you can create your track in your own home in your own room. Sure. But there, I would love the fact to just be able to do that, like, you know, kind of map the setting in my room and then play as like in slot racers, you know, that would yeah. be so cool. That'd be really neat. And I think that we're getting something like that with the new Hot Wheels game that's coming out this yes. September. I think we're going to get something close to that. But again, that's Hot Wheels. It's a different toy entirely. So and I don't know, like, the slot car concept, if that's a license or if that's a, like, who owns that, who mm-hmm. makes those toys. I have no idea, even if they exist anymore. It's kind of becoming a little bit a little bit of, like, a 70s fad that has died out. So I don't think there's any sort of a market for it anymore. But that's what caught my eye with this game, yeah. was just how, how unique it was. But I love the uniqueness. I think it's, I think it's definitely, you know, not a bad game. But mm-hmm. I, I, it is quite bland at the end of the day and will probably only hold your attention for an hour or two. Yeah. And I another thing here that just caught my eye real yeah. quick was the developer, King of the Jungle, who I hadn't heard of them before, and we haven't covered them at all. And there's very little information They're of not them. the King of the Jungle, clearly. No, no, they are quite the opposite <laughs> of that. They're actually defunct. <laughs> um, it's too bad because I couldn't even find a Wikipedia page no. or anything. I found, a, I found a fandom page that was actually written about them, which... I'm really sorry to the person who wrote it. I could tell that they tried or they did their research on it, but the English was not great. So it's it's too bad. I couldn't really understand what was going on at the studio. But basically what I could grasp was that they were founded in 1995. They went out of business in 2004. So this would have been one of their last games. Sure. And they were basically around to make Galaga games and oh. uh, this, this Groove Rider game. Interesting. So, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll, we'll never hear from them again, but uh, King of the Jungle. Uh, Very nice. R.I.P. Nice. <laughs> All right, let me hit the back of the case here, and then we'll move on to the next game. Let's do it. Slot car racing is no longer child's play. Go ballistic on 20 unreal tracks in a fantasy penthouse apartment setting. Feel the thrill of super speed lane changes through 360-degree loops and crazy twists and turns. The tracks are tricky and could be your friend or foe. Race smart and grab extra juice for a boost or blasting power. Blink an eye and booby trap can send you flying. That, that booby trap might send you flying, Neil. It might. It yeah, might. If I ever... That's something we didn't say is that they actually there's these things that will come up and you have to avoid them on the slots so, yeah. you, so that you don't yeah get hit and fall off the course. That was another one of the issues with the game was that the draw distance was bad and your reflexes had to be very quick so that oh. you could see them. And it was almost impossible at times, which... Not good in a 3D racing game. Right, right, right. Yeah. Let's move on to another game here. We're switching gears from a racing game and changing it over to Gladius, which was released on October 28th, 2003. This game was developed and published by LucasArts. It's also on PlayStation 2, Xbox, and it uh, today is priced at around $40 and rates an 8 out of 10. This is a very well-known and well-respected tactical turn-based role-playing game, which, which was developed by LucasArts, the studio behind... Of course, many Star Wars games and Knights of the Old Republic. 
Yes, and LucasArts, and just quickly, we're gonna yeah. we're gonna talk about LucasArts in depth because there's a lot to go over them, not on this episode, but on the Star Wars episode. Sure. Because yeah, you could there's there's books written just on LucasArts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, uh, you know, this was back when they were branching off, still branching off into other non-Star Wars IPs. Uh, mm-hmm. They had some great, great critically acclaimed games in the late '90s, early 2000s, like a. Uh, Grim Fandango, uh, there's Monkey sure. Island series, there's the Mercenaries yeah. series, which I've never played, but is apparently really, really good. Yeah, Maniac Mansion, the Monkey Island series, and then they also made a bunch of Indiana Jones titles as well. Yes, of course, yeah. And so a lot of those games were critically praised and known mm-hmm. as being you know, very good games, just like Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic. I mean, LucasArts later on was probably known more for canceling good games, yes. uh, <laughs> like Star Wars 1313, uh, Traxion, Battlefront 3. Which a lot of that was because of the acquisition of Disney back in 2012 when they bought, when they purchased uh, LucasArts, the film studio, they also purchased the video games, which meant that they had to, they didn't have to, but they did cut a lot of video game projects that were well on their way to being released. Yes, that's true. Although uh, LucasArts was definitely kind of shuffling their feet on a lot of these games earlier Mm on, um, way before Disney, uh, and they kind of have a reputation for being difficult to work with. Yeah. But uh, again, we will go into that more on the Star Wars episode, so stay tuned for that. Yes. But for this game, uh, I I know Gladius from way back. Someone, uh, a friend of a friend, played Gladius, and I remember was really into the kind of Roman uh, and Trojan style games like the uh, Spartan Total Warrior Mm -hmm. that we talked about on an earlier episode. And on first glance, Gladius kind of feels like that. Uh, or looks like that uh, kind of game, but it's actually not. It's it's closer to a Fire Emblem or yes. a Lord of the Rings Third Age than anything. Mm-hmm. I was getting major vibes of that. Definitely Fire Emblem. You yes. hit the nail on the head there with that. I was watching gameplay before we started the podcast here, and I was just like, the music is really good. Like yeah. it's it's very it's a symphony and it's it's great. The voice acting is a little stiff, but that was just the case with late 90s, early 2000s RPGs, especially yep. turn-based RPGs. And I think this game is fairly long, too. This may be yes. one of the longest GameCube games in terms of just playtime. It's uh, a beefy like, game. Yeah, about over 60 hours to, to beat the game, uh, from what I could tell on how long to beat. I really liked uh, checking that website as well. It's kind of neat, though. Uh, we haven't covered Mario Golf yet, but the game fight system kind of reminded me of Mario Golf, where there's these swing meters that you have to time the button prompts for <laughs> right. in order to attack. The sw- that was something that really threw me off when I first saw it. I was like, what the? And apparently, again, I haven't personally played Gladius, uh, but I've watched a lot of uh, footage and talked to some people who have and uh, you know did a lot of research on it and apparently the swing meter makes the game very easy <laughs> oh okay <laughs> because once you once you kind of figure out the you know the pattern of it it's just like the golf games it, it gets relatively easy ah, okay. uh, and so there is the option to turn off the swing meter which a lot of people do Mm, okay i probably would too i think i'd find that somewhat annoying even in the golf games i sometimes find it annoying <laughs> yeah, too. yeah not a huge fan of the swing meter in video games just in general i can't think of a time where i loved it yeah it's kind of like it's one of those things where it's this is the best option we have yeah i suppose <laughs> like, okay so. yeah. <laughs> i guess this is okay <laughs> <laughs> what choice do i have i don't develop video games yeah <laughs> <laughs> So the game, uh, you can play as a, a man or a woman. You can play as Ursula, the female, or Valens, the male, in each campaign. Who's a barbarian, I, the woman's the barbarian tribe, and then the man is a uh, kind of Roman tribe. 
Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. So yep. there are two different campaigns to play in order to see everything this game has to offer. And again, one of the reasons why this game caught my eye was, first of all, LucasArts. There aren't too many LucasArts published games on GameCube. Especially As- ones that aren't Star Wars. Exactly. Yeah, the Star Wars games from this generation, because this was when they had the Star Wars license back. Star mm-hmm. Wars was huge with Episode One, and now Episode Two was out, and Episode Three was coming out very soon. Uh, so that was one of the reasons why it caught my eye. And then as well, we talk about RPGs on the GameCube, and usually you hear people say, you know, Fire Emblem or Tales of Symphonia and Bat and Katos, but I've never heard anybody ever mention Gladius. This is one of the most obscure games, I think, in my mind. It's obviously very well known amongst tactical RPG fans mm-hmm. uh, because it has a reputation for being a very good game. Yeah. But it's it's almost unknown outside of that. You know, I found it in a lot of top 50 GameCube games uh, when I was doing some research, uh, usually around the, the, the late 40s, uh, it kind of goes into. Uh, but they were often lists that were favoring RPG games more than anything, uh, okay. which is why it was there. And so I don't think a lot of people even know about this game, really, which is too bad because it, um, it scored very high on the GameCube, mm-hmm. uh, specifically the GameCube, with 8s and 9s and uh, 82... Right on Metacritic, which is, again, very, very high for a, a game like this. It scored highest on GameCube yes. over PS2 and Xbox. The uh, PlayStation and Xbox version got in the high 70s. Yes, that's right. And th- it's, this game is so unknown, uh, so much so that the official Xbox magazine rated it as one of the best Xbox games people never play, which <laughs> I thought was wow. uh, was pretty funny. Yeah, I mean, like like we said, it's just in this era of everybody's playing the Star Wars LucasArts games and probably had a, a lower print run. I don't know if the whole Roman trend had kicked off yet. When did 300 come out? I keep I, I feel 2006, like it, so I think yeah. a, a couple of years later, Troy, I think, also came out uh, around the same time. Yeah, so this game might have been a little bit before its time. The box art is also not super enthralling. Yeah. Like it's a little bit more of... It looks it's like no PC- Freaky Flyers. No, it's no Freaky Flyers. <laughs> it has nothing on Freaky Flyers. It looks like more of a PC game. Like game. I just see this title, and it looks like a PC game box. Uh, Although Gladiator, on. now that I think about it, Gladiator did come out in 2000, so... That's true. This, this was kind of in that time, so... It, it, yeah. it was riding the wave. Yeah, it was, it was riding it, the wave. I think that this game could live again. I was just looking at it and thinking, man, this would be a really good iPad game. Which I don't say that too often. <laughs> <laughs> it honestly could. This game, I think, should live again because it is very well developed. It's it's the story is very enthralling. There's a mm-hmm. lot of stuff going on. It's like they must have put so many dev hours into creating this thing because yeah. there's a huge variety of characters and builds. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the cutscene and storylines uh, are also well done. They're actually so well done that they don't get in the way of gameplay, mm. which I got to give them credit for. Because there are a lot of RPGs that you and I both have talked about that where we find this, the the cutscenes are you know there's so much of them constantly and it gets uh, pretty uh, repetitive and it kind of takes you out of the game. Yeah, the acting and the cutscenes in this game they weren't great. It's kind of hard to go back to some of these games like with the voice acting. Yeah, I, I'd almost rather <laughs> no, like I'd almost rather prefer that it was just text. Like I could turn off the voices and just read it. And I mentioned the music uh, at the front there. I just want to give another shout out to the mm-hmm. composer of the game, Mark uh, Grisky. 
I hope I'm saying the name right there. He uh, he did the score for a lot of other LucasArts games as well, and mainly Microsoft games here. Like we have like the Star Wars Force Unleashed soundtrack, the Star Wars Old Republic. Um, oh, wow. He did a few Disney Connect uh, games, which is funny. <laughs> um, so just a big shout out to him as well, because video game soundtracks are becoming a bit of a lost art, I find. Yeah, this one was a great one. It really felt like it was you know, like a movie, a movie quality soundtrack. Yeah, and also very rare in an RPG is that it also offers four-player uh, alternating multiplayer. Yes, so you... without a Game Boy Advance link cable, or <laughs> using your Game Boy Advance to play it. <laughs> finally, finally. I, this game was not on GBA, so we could not play this. Uh, thank God for that. Oh, that would have been awful. Yeah, it is. I, I was I, I was also, that was something that I was very impressed about, that the fact that they had the ability to have multiplayer in it. Something that, you know, it's just speculating here, but something that Nintendo may have even asked LucasArts for at this time, considering that they knew it was going to go on the GameCube, saying, hey, could you maybe put a multiplayer aspect in here? I don't know. (laughs) Maybe. That would have been really, that would have been interesting. I'm trying to think now if any of the Star Wars games had any Game Boy Advance compatibility, but I don't think they did. I wonder, I'd really like to know how that worked. Like the whole Game Boy Advance, if it worked with the game, if it didn't, there were about 70 games that worked with the Game Boy Advance and most of them weren't good. So it'd be really interesting <laughs> to do like a, I'd love to read a book or see a documentary on how that whole thing worked behind the scenes. We can write scenes. it, Neil. We can write it. We could. That's going to take a ton of work. And I don't want... <laughs> we are, we, Neil, we already have to spend all our time playing all 555 GameCube games. That's, that's right. we got to bump that two star up to a five star. <laughs> but yeah, overall, this is a, this is a pretty good game. It, it's got some cons. It, it is a bit difficult to go back to now. But at the time, I think this game probably didn't get its due, even though it was a very, very well-made game. And two years, or maybe even three years, I think, before the other tactical RPG on uh, the GameCube, which is, of course, Fire Emblem Path of Radiance. So Mm -hmm. ahead of its time in that sense. Yeah, one of the few RPGs on the console and one that I'd still like to eventually pick up someday if I can. Yeah, I agree. Cool. All right. And let's read the back of the case of this game before we move on to our last game of the day. Mike, what do you say? Let's do it. All right. Introducing an epic gladiatorial RPG, follow the grand saga of two young heroes, Ursula and Valens, as they recruit and train a team of warriors and compete in the gladiator games. Battle with deadly weapons and powerful magic as you learn vital combat tactics while enhancing and customizing your characters. And there's a a link to the website, www.gladius.com, which uh, you could have visited back in the day. I just tested it now, and good on them. It takes you to lucasfilm.com now. Oh, okay, cool. At least it actually goes somewhere. Yeah, the link's not dead, which is crazy. They they thought of that, and so it takes you to uh, the new Star Wars game coming out, which I guess is EA, but still not yeah ea uh star wars squadrons it takes you to there you go there you go <laughs> all right so let's move on to the last game uh for today which was sea world shamu's deep sea adventure was released on november 1st 2005 this is developed by magic wand studios it's published by activision it's also on game boy advance nintendo ds playstation 2 and xbox it's around 15 dollars today and rates about a 5 out of 10 I want it on record that I do not actually want to pick this game up. Mike, this is a game that you want to pick up. Why is this in my episode? <laughs> well, you know, we we the the games that I wanted to pick up were mostly M-rated uh, and open world games, which we created we made into the M-rated open world episode. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I think episode thirty nine it was, and uh, Shamu didn't really fit that aesthetic. You know, so uh, no, I wanted quite. to put. Shamu into your episode. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's all right. And you actually picked this game up. We've played it. 
we played it. I picked it up for $10, so it's clearly a bargain because you said that it usually goes for 15 I mean, now I guess it's inflated a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> and picked it up and have played it. Uh, first of all, before I talk about uh, my thoughts of this game, because I have a lot of them, uh, Magic Wand Productions, who made this game or developed this game, uh, we just recently talked about them, Neil, because they made some of the Cabela games. Oh, wow. That's hilarious. Imagine if they did a crossover where you could hunt Shamu in his own theme park. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. <laughs> that was the first thought. I was like, ooh, yeah, yikes. <laughs> oh, there was so much opportunity there. Come on, SeaWorld. What are you doing? I was thinking while doing research for this game, how many video games are linked? Again, we talked about how many video games are linked to uh, stores with Cabela. How many games are linked to live shows like like SeaWorld? And I thought you were going to say linked to amusement parks because I was going to say Universal Universal Studios Theme Park Adventure, yeah. which we covered way back. True. Uh, that, that could, that's one of them, probably the only one. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's the one I can think of is the Universal Experience. I was just thinking about live shows with like Shamu's uh, like you know. the Cirque du Soleil, the game. Yeah, like yeah, or Wicked, <laughs> Wicked, the game. That would have been cool. Oh, like a musical theater. Okay, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I could get down with that. Cirque du Soleil, the game would sell ten copies, and they'd all sell in Quebec. <laughs> <laughs> I'd pick one up. You know. Yeah. It's like uh, it's like the Louvre, uh, right? Like that. There's like the DS game. Yes. For, uh... <laughs> That'd be very neat indeed. And this there game actually did come with a bit of a story. Uh, in the game, Poseidon, the Greek god of sea, tries to destroy the Sea World theme park and replace it with Atlantis. Uh, the <gasps> player controls. Shamu, the titular protagonist who attempts to defeat Poseidon and the Kraken. So the game is basically like a platformer, a 3D platformer, but you're playing as the orca whale Shamu. And of course, Shamu, the famous Shamu. Uh, and so, yeah, let's just let's just dive right into it here, Neil. <laughs> <laughs> good, good one. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Yeah. Uh, uh, so, pros, uh, the game looks really good pros the game is done <laughs> <laughs> i gotta say and you were over when you when when we uh, when you were watching some of it, it it looks very good i was really impressed uh great yeah. water textures clear crisp menus uh very colorful and inviting uh, yeah this game looks better than most of the fishing games on the gamecube which is saying something this game looks better than most of the games on the gamecube yeah uh, in general i think a lot of it has to do with because we've talked about many times the gamecube was spe specifically designed to have great water textures right and shamu makes um makes use of that for sure so good on them uh for that Mm -hmm. uh it's got really good voice voiceovers uh, for some reason it's a manatee who's helping you out and he has a british accent but whoever is voicing him did a good job and made it feel pretty inviting as well well wasn't it it sounds like patrick stewart it sounds it's not patrick stewart oh, but it okay. sounds like patrick stewart that would have been awesome if they got <laughs> patrick stewart to do the sea world game he does say some words weird he says like he, he can't say Kraken properly, so he says, oh. like, Kur, 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 Kraken. Like, he, oh, okay. like, holds the R, and, and it's like, mm. I, I wonder if they edited it, you know, if, he's, if he, like, messed up. <laughs> he had a stutter. Yeah, and they just had to, like, edit it together. It's, it's kind of, that's kind of weird, but uh, it is, the production of the game is very, very high for a, a SeaWorld game. Um, the levels themselves are very ambitious. They're, you know, not a traditional platformer where you're going left to right. You're going up down left right you know you're going everywhere on the map mm -hmm. and it's uh, it's cuz you're basically in a cave and you're trying right. to figure out where to go in the cave you're exploring you're trying to you make sure enemies don't kill you mm -hmm. uh, yeah very ambitious and not a lot of repetition so i got to give them a lot of credit there where credit is due yeah the swimming levels i remember watching your girlfriend play this uh one day and um like she was getting lost a little bit like not exactly knowing what to do at some time some points i think the game 
was broken or something where like the arrow wasn't pointing right or it was hard to tell what she was where she was supposed to go to next which was just an issue with 3d platformers at this time and this game kind of switches between 3d and not 2d but almost like you're you're the camera's right behind shamu which yeah. is neat like a change of change of pace change of direction there where you're like running away from a boss uh which never happened or didn't happen too often in in video games back then with the change of camera angles it yeah was, it was interesting this is a very late gamecube game 2005 i'm kind of surprised that it wasn't ever ported to the wii because i think that this game could have done pretty well on the wii since the, i think so too a whale is very similar shape to the wii mote and it could have been fun to play this so, one would have definitely been better for with motion controls and almost feels mm-hmm. like it was meant to have motion controls because that goes into the cons of this game mm. uh and the fact that the controls are very difficult it's really hard to control shamu mm-hmm. uh he's kind of flopping all over the place his yeah. in order to like use your actual combat skills it's they kind of show you what the combos are for about two seconds on the screen when you learn a new one and that's it mm. and okay. they're they're not very intuitive at all to to learn or, or use they're they're usually like l l b a or something weird oh, like that jeez <laughs> it's like okay. why, why am i doing this why isn't it just like xx or aa yeah. or ab the face buttons yeah. yeah so there's a lot of that that's that's really strange uh i think one of the biggest problems if not the biggest problem is the fact that water levels suck neil and yeah. <laughs> in every video game for since the beginning of time water levels are always the worst levels as we've said many times and mm-hmm. this is a entire game that is only water levels yeah and that that takes some getting used to for sure. And I'm not saying that makes it a bad game. It just makes it more difficult for a developer to, to create something that's really engaging. Yeah, it, it is difficult. And you kind of have to make it, it's almost like a flying game after a while. Where yeah. It's basically, you're in a big enough tank that it feels like you're flying instead of swimming. And it, it's very claustrophobic. Like I got vibes from like Donkey Kong Country yeah. uh, mixed with like Echo the Dolphin, uh, the Sega CD game or yeah. something like that. That's a good way to, to put it. Yeah. Yeah. Another thing that was kind of thrown in here randomly is that this game had puzzles in it, like kind of this uh, disc. Puzzle, puzzles are a, a loose word, Neil. It had one puzzle. It had one puzzle that I remember <laughs> we, we were trying to solve it for a while, that puzzle. And it's like, because it wasn't obvious what you were supposed to do. It's kind of like this disc that has three levels in it. You, you can spin each yeah, disc independently to match up the picture, but... It's not a picture, really. It's more like a maze, and it's hard to tell what you're supposed to do. It's like a water lock. I think that's what they're called. A yeah. water lock puzzle. It reminded me of something from Uncharted. Yes, it was very much like that. The <laughs> problem is, is that that is the only puzzle, that, and you have to do that every single time you go to a new area. Yeah. And it gets old really fast. That was a very random game element that they put in there. So we could have also thrown this game into the puzzle episode, but we uh, decided against that. Yeah, well, I don't think that would have gone very well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, the fans would have been really upset if we put Shamu in the puzzle episode. <laughs> uh, just a couple of, of other tidbits about this game the health system is very broken it's hard to know uh when you well not hard to know when you need food they tell you when you need to know need food but mm. you can't really find food very easily oh like real sea world then for the, uh, for the, <laughs> for the fish <laughs> exactly and there's also an energy part of it too and the energy part means that if you don't have enough of these uh basically water bubbles basically air is what you're okay. looking for if you don't have enough air then you can't do your your attacks Mm, which means sense. that you can't break things, which means that you can just be stuck on levels <laughs> and there's no way out. 
Oh, geez. So that the game is broken in that sense because it's very easy to just get stuck. Mm. <laughs> and yeah, that's yeah too bad. N- not not a great system in in that sense. <laughs> and you can die very easily because the enemies are kind of just put into the background. It's it's hard to tell what's an enemy and what's oh. part of the scenery. which is something that really frustrated me when I played this game. I was getting like (laughs) immensely frustrated trying to navigate my way through things. And all of a sudden I'd just be getting shocked and not be able to move. It's like, oh, okay, I guess there's something here. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. This Mike, you're just describing to me an experience of what I must imagine it feels like to be an orca in one of these theme parks. I got to say, they they have a very realistic sim sim of being (laughs) Shamu. So this game has way more potential than a game like this should. Uh, so I got to give it credit. Like I said, it it, it, it could have been very, very innovative for its time, but it really does get hampered by, down by terrible gameplay. And e- even the collection aspect of it kind of sucks because you collect these cool postcards or uh, other videos. And they're just these, you know, almost uh, like 3D rendered photos of animals at SeaWorld. They're not mm. even real photos. <laughs> oh, okay. It's kind of like they. This game really does feel like they put a lot of effort into the actual look of of it and look of Shamu and you know the uh, the the cinematics, I guess. But okay. uh, they just ran out of time and money because ah. they realized that this was a a game for SeaWorld. <laughs> yeah, and so they're like, uh, okay, we just gotta like fill in the rest. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, it's going to be a game for kids. This is not going to be a game that's you know serious adults are playing. They're going to pick it up for their nephew or their daughter or their son. Yeah, and and that's the end of that. But I mean, we've already covered a few games on the GameCube that we think would be far better choices for kids from the sound of it. Like we, Dora the Explorer, or we haven't even talked about like the Curious George game, which looks yep. awesome too. So there's definitely better games for kids that uh, that are out there. Um, I mean, it is if you do find it for ten dollars, I like somewhat recommend picking it up because it it's it's quite unique and it's there's enough elements that make it interesting uh especially to look at again i just got to give it a lot of praise for the sense of of how good it looks yeah it's colorful like it's a colorful undersea game like they made it look good and yeah most games uh this time were dark as we know very dark games Mm -hmm. uh because they were usually trying to hide the stuff that they couldn't make sure yeah exactly It kind of reminded me of like a glow-in-the-dark mini putt almost with the coral glowing. It's a very pretty game. I will yeah. give it that. Yep. And Mike, you own this game, so I think I need to pass it over to you to read the back of the case. Can you do that for me? Of course I can. All right. Neil, this only uses four blocks on your memory card. So. Oh, wow. It's a, it's a steal. <laughs> it's a steal, Mike. <laughs> uh, the ultimate underwater adventure. Battle the evil Kraken and Poseidon the Sea God. Thrash and smash your way to unlocking special powers. Bravely duel thousands of dangerous sea creatures. Well, that's a bit of an understatement. <laughs> uh, explore the amazing secrets of the lost city of Atlantis. I just got there today, so uh, oh. we're going to check that even, even more. You found it. You found I the found lost it. city. Congratulations. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, it's it's uh, the back of the case is actually very nice as well because it's clean, simple. There's only... Everything I just read was on there. There's no small bullet points that you can't read. Mm -hmm. Uh, Nice screenshots that actually represent what the game looks like instead of something that the game doesn't look like at all, which you often see. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, good cover art. Uh, I got to, you know, Shamu is very prominent. He's there. And, uh, yeah. He's there. <laughs> no, he, he, he's there. Would have been uh, awesome if it was just a bass. In don't, the don't love supporting SeaWorld or any marine 
uh, places like Marineland in Ontario. Marineland has to go. Uh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> that's yeah. the worst place on earth. <laughs> I'm not, I've never been to SeaWorld myself, so I'm not sure how much worse SeaWorld is uh, compared to Marineland. I feel like, I think Marineland is worse. Oh, yeah, I, I think so. I think SeaWorld is just worse because it's a chain, so there's more of them, so they sure. in turn get more news coverage. Yeah, we're not going to get too deep into the, no pun intended, we're not going to get too deep into the ethical issues with uh, with theme parks based around sea creatures. Uh, if you want to go ahead and check out some, some documentaries, they are out there. I've seen them all. I think it's terrible, but I don't want to get too far into it now. Yeah, you can just play, play you can just experience Shamu virtually. With yeah. your Shamu's Deep Sea Adventures. And if you buy it like Mike did from a secondhand store, SeaWorld sees none of that revenue. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. There you go. That's how to combat it. That's how we get back at those bastards. <laughs> All right, Mike. So to end off this part of the episode here, I mean, we, we, we're not going to talk about the future of Neil wanting to play video games because <laughs> that's just dumb. But are there any games here that you would recommend folks out there look for while they're uh, shopping for video games? You know what? I would probably say Gladius. Gladius mm-hmm. would be my pick because I think it's... A very well done game for the time. It, it, it might not hold up fully to what you would expect, but I, I think it's a it's a good own, and I think it's something that will go up in price as well if you're a collector, mm-hmm. uh, just because it is LucasArts and it is a game that seems to be obscure but still has high ratings. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, I think I personally would want to pick up Gladius. Sweet. I still do want to pick up Gladius. The, the point of this episode for me was kind of to pick out games that I judged based on just the title, the box art, maybe a brief back of the case, and then do a deeper dive into them and see if I still want to pick them up. So uh, the number one game on my list here is Freaky Flyers. I do think yeah. that that game is a Neil game for sure. This Doing this show has made me realize how much I actually love racing games and, and how accessible they are for me as someone who isn't great at 3d games uh i'll admit it as i get older for some reason something's happening to me i can't control <laughs> games as well <laughs> something's wrong mike getting old uh probably but uh i think i'd have to cast aside groove rider i don't think i really want to get that game anymore it doesn't yeah. seem like a good fit but ultimate muscle sounds like a ton of fun and gladius also sound like both great pickups for the console uh, and you own sea world now so if i ever need to play that game i'll just give you a call yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's my plan for, for my life now. So, Mike, let's uh, transition over now to the very last part of our episode here. Uh, where Let's uh, celebrate our 20 years of being friends. Um, oh. I know, I'll put something. You can put some, some music here. <laughs> some kind of a song in there. I don't some know. Some celebration. Some, yeah, I guess so. Uh, yeah, so we've been friends for 20 years. We met uh, back in 2001. We think it was probably May or June. It's hard to tell. But basically, we met uh, playing baseball either at tryouts or at the first game when you're told what team you're going to be on. And uh, some of our common interests right away were we, we both liked baseball, we liked hockey, we liked music, video games, Spongebob, and Star Wars. So I thought what a good thing, a good way to kind of go through our, our friendship together would be to break it up into segments or eras, if you will. Uh, eras. We, ooh, the nice eras of the Neil and Mike friendship. <laughs> uh, we both went to the same grade school, so that would be kind of neat. Uh, we both separated in middle school. We went to different schools there, so that's another era. Then we went to high school together. We went to college separately, and now we're in adulthood. So let's uh, break it down into those uh, five or six eras. Sure. Great school. Yeah, I remember when we met for uh, baseball. We played baseball together for, I think, three or four years, maybe. 
And um, obviously, th- that was a different Neil. That was a uh, large Neil. Uh, yes, chubby Neil. <laughs> chubby <could> Neil. <laughs> and I was still scrawny and still am. Uh, <laughs> not as scrawny as I used to be, but, you know, uh, I, I remember thinking, because there's you and our other friend, Dan, uh, Daniel, uh, mm-hmm. uh, who, and both of you were very large. And I just remember thinking, like, these are two, like, eight-year-olds. And, <laughs> and they are massive. <laughs> yeah, there are two pictures of, or there's a picture of us uh, from Rookie Ball, our our team photo i guess and yeah we look older than you and you're you're actually older than you were older than both of us now this is not daniel kerr who's been on our show multiple times this was a different daniel we won't say his last name just because we don't know him anymore and we don't want to give away <laughs> last names of people we don't talk to uh but yeah we uh we actually played baseball mike for two years together okay it was only two no it was more than that no we just played two years of rookie ball and oh. then in Ty- tyke i went up to uh double a and i i think you stayed in house league because we're, we're not on the same rookie or we're not on the same tyke teams uh but we did play hockey together for two or three years so maybe that's what you're thinking of it all blends, blends yeah <laughs> at this point the 2001 to 2005 era are very muddled to say the least and of course we hung out at recess and uh we would yep. play road hockey together we oh, yeah. neil and i lived quite close as well so that helped mm-hmm. yeah um, and we would see each other at school a lot i wasn't in any of neil's classes because i was in french immersion and neil right. was in non-french immersion <laughs> english <laughs> english <laughs> and so i um i didn't get to have classes with him when i was in uh grade school but uh, obviously mm-hmm. we hung out all the time we would have lightsaber fights on the uh <laughs> on the playgrounds you know mm-hmm. just nerdy stuff that you do uh, i remember us uh you know being very into star wars and spongebob so much so that we would try and create you know a spongebob star wars crossover that yeah. uh, that was inevitably going to come out it was it was unfortunately canceled in, t- in 2005. <laughs> when, Disney, when, Disney bought. <laughs> <laughs> when Disney bought the rights to Star Wars and not SpongeBob, we decided that we had to separate them. But I think yes. we called it Sponge Wars. We actually drew pictures of like what the characters would look like in Star Wars outfits and uh, yep. and environments, which was hilarious. I don't have any of those drawings anymore. They're long there might gone. be somewhere no. uh, for me, but I have no idea. <laughs> not for me, that's for sure. I also have memories of you and me riding around our bikes the na- in the neighborhood that we lived together uh, with walkie talkies yes if, if people think out there like stranger things like if that was a thing of the 80s that was also a thing of the 2000s with walkie talkies as well yep uh i remember i was on a walkie talkie and i i i like wiped out on my bike right behind you <laughs> i don't know oh, if you really? remember that no i don't <laughs> yeah you stopped i think like i was trying to find you and then i found you and then you stopped suddenly and then i was like whoa and then i just like flew <laughs> off my bike I don't remember that. I was okay. I was like, you know, as a kid, you're okay as long as you're around your friends. You can yeah. be like bleeding out, and you're like, I'm fine. I'm Good. just gonna, I'm just gonna go home. I'll see you guys at school. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Man, yeah, that, that was those were good times, and you know, we played Yu-Gi-Oh cards together too, and of uh, th- th- those are the main things that I remember doing: are video games, playing Yu-Gi-Oh cards, and playing hockey and baseball together during the the first five years of you and me being friends. Of course, owning the GameCube, getting the GameCube, and playing sure. Fire and other many of the games that we've talked about already on this podcast we did during that time Mm -hmm. yeah we like going over to my house for sleepovers to play nightfire of course this is when that all started was in in grade school when we went to the same same elementary school but then after we graduated elementary school in 2005 we went to different middle schools uh here in toronto ontario junior high as you call it in uh in the u.s junior high school if you want to call it that too it's kind of like where after grade six we all separate or we go to a school for two years which is random as hell (laughs) uh to spend two years in grade seven and eight before high school but you went to a school that was more specialized in tech and business and i went to more of like just a regular stream middle school Yes, and that's kind of how I became a designer and how I 
may probably why I'm doing this podcast today, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> Doesn't explain what I'm doing here, but I'm figuring it out as I go. <laughs> yeah, I kind of learned how to do all, you know, Photoshop and Illustrator and everything there and wow. um, and kind of fell in love with that world. And uh, I kept in touch with Neil. We uh, we used to try and hang out, uh, sure. uh, you know, at least uh, probably once every week or two mm-hmm. uh, because, again, we lived so close together. And Neil was actually a big reason of why I wanted to go to uh, the high school near me and not continue on in the tech tech program uh, because, well, not just you, but, uh, you know, yeah. other friends. Oh, okay. Yeah. okay. Well. <laughs> but obviously you were a big part of it, Neil. Uh, Thanks. Uh, I didn't know that. Yeah, well, because, uh, you know, I wanted to... Uh, I didn't really want to continue on with the tech program. It was mm-hmm. really, really intensive, and I, I got what I needed out of the two years. Right. I didn't really want to do that for another four years, and the school was about uh, an hour away by bus, so I had to wake oh. up really early every morning and catch sure. that bus, like the, the school bus to, to take us to to middle school and then it would have been to high school. Sure. I'd much rather walk my 15 minutes uh, <laughs> with, with Neil to high yeah. school and uh, that's what I did. For sure. Yeah, no, that was a weird two years because I met a few other friends that were, I mean, like Kyle in middle school and, uh, and you know, we're still decent friends with him now. We, we keep in touch the best we can on apps like Discord. But I, I give you and I a bit of credit here because, like, we stayed friends consistently for two years when we weren't at the same school, which as a kid in the mid-2000s wasn't it's hard. easy. It's hard because there yeah. was no Facebook or anything. We didn't have phones. We weren't texting each other. We didn't even have – I don't even think I had MSN yet. Like, we were just – we would just knock on each other's doors and <laughs> – Is Neil is Neil home to come yeah, can, and play? Can, can Mike come out? You know, <laughs> yeah. like, that's what we did when we were 11 and 12 years old, which is hilarious. Um, and I, I've always been a little bit – not jealous, but just, like, envious of you because, like, in 2005 five graduating from grade six you already knew that you wanted to go into tech and design and do photoshop and you didn't know exactly what you wanted to do yet but you had like an inkling on what you wanted to do at that age like, i didn't know what i wanted to do until i barely know what i want to do now <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, you know yeah, you, no, you, i'm you, lucky in that sense and like i can't believe you know you, you, lucky enough to go to our we went to the same high school and i mean you you got a pretty good experience i think at at our high school you know doing com tech and yep. me- media arts we luckily had a decent program with that a really good teacher too that helped yeah yeah the com tech department at our, at our high school was really good considering the rest of the school not the best <laughs> so this was in the 2007 to 2011 era which i'm calling the high school era when mike and i walked to school every single day because we were practically neighbors uh for about 13 years uh, so we would meet at a street corner near my house, and we would walk about 15 minutes, 20 minutes to our high school every day, and we would talk about what the hell did we talk about? Like music, uh, everything, everything, Family Guy, yeah, uh, everything, yeah, like high school drama. Like this was kind of like our debrief, almost a little bit of an inspiration of what this podcast is now. Where I mean, we've been talking. This is kind of how we talked, like on our way to yes. and from school. Yeah, is, exactly. That's kind yeah. of where where it started, and then we would meet up with our other friends. Many of them have who have already been on the show, and we would sit in the stair at the stairwell and yeah. uh, and all talk before school started. Mm-hmm. And that's that's basically what the podcast is. It's like yeah. it's just an extension of that. But we, we've learned how to talk properly. Exactly. Otherwise, it's not interesting to listen to high schoolers talk about video games. I mean, this has a fair bit more structure than that. And but we I mean, didn't really uh, play that many games at, at that time uh, together, at least. We played Brawl together uh, with because I had the Wii. You didn't. So you would come over and play Brawl mm-hmm. uh, and Mario Kart with me. But I mostly played Modern Warfare uh, yeah. and other Call of Duty and Halo games um, because a bunch of uh, our friends would go to... Uh, another guy's house who lived very close to the school at lunch. Yeah, we would, you know, go get our Tim Hortons, uh, <laughs> go to uh, get get my donut there, and 
go to his house and play Modern Warfare for an hour and then come back and go to school again. It was, uh, we did that, that every lunch for two years. I remember that from like grade nine and 10, you yep. were going over there because our lunch breaks were 75 minutes in, in those grades. Ooh, they were nice. They were all beautiful. Uh, <laughs> and I wasn't really into it. I remember you going over to play those games and I, I went with you guys once, I think. This was when Call of Duty was getting huge with yes. Modern Warfare and, and that trilogy was just coming out. It was basically the Fortnite of, of that generation. It was everyone was talking about those games. Uh, I don't know what the heck I was doing at lunch in, in grade nine and 10. I playing think I was your just, Game Boy. Maybe <laughs> yeah, playing Game Boy. Doing, I don't know. I have no memory of what I did. I think we just hung out at parks and stuff. Probably, yeah. Kirsten can correct me on that later. She, she knows. I think like we went to playgrounds and hung out and swings or whatever the hell as, we were as doing. You do, as, as teenagers do, I guess. I don't know. One of my favorite Mike and Neil memories from high school, though, has got to be grade 11 when we played in the World Fair, which <laughs> was basically this kind of amalgamation of everyone in the school got together and we auditioned and you got to represent your ethnicity or your background and present it to the school like a talent show, but it had to have some some anchor in your heritage. Yes. And Mike, Dan, and I, Dan, Dan Kerr, friend of the show, we, um, we auditioned to represent New Zealand by doing a flight of the Concords <laughs> cover, the Rhymnosaurus and the Hip Hopopotamus, which Mike and Dan were playing as Brett and Jermaine from the band, and I was playing the bass. We did this in front of the whole school. <laughs> <laughs> That's one of my favorite high school oh, memories, I think. I'm the mother flipping Rhymnosaurus. Got birds on my back because I'm horny. I'm, he's horny. horny. <laughs> yeah, that was. It's on YouTube. Uh, yes, we'll, it is. We'll and try and we'll link it somewhere. We uh, killed so, it. We killed it. <laughs> that, was, that was hilarious. I think it's done on like a crappy iPod camera, so the footage is not great. But I, I really enjoy memories like that. There, there, there was a lot of bad times in high school for me for sure. But the oh, yeah. little little bits like that were are hilarious to know that that happened. Same here. Yep. Yep. And then when we graduated high school in 2011, once again, Mike and Neil were separated uh, by going to different schools. Mike went off to London, Ontario to study, and I stayed in the Toronto area to stay in college. And you lived there for, what, eight years? Close to that, yeah. After yeah. after high school or after college uh, and university, I got a job mm-hmm. out in London, stayed there and saved some money. Um, but it, it, our friend group from high school could have easily fallen apart, Neil obviously being part of that. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, we were lucky enough to have me really as one of the only people who left Toronto. So whenever I would come back, it was easy to make a thing of, you know, of going out and we would go to sushi because mm-hmm. we really ended up... Uh, getting into sushi at the end of high school. Uh, that was kind of a big thing for our hangouts. And mm-hmm. we just kind of continued that uh, when I left to university and when I would come back. So the yeah. sushi to end all sushis, as we called them, there were many of them. And it just kind of evolved into our current Discord group with our friends. I was going to say, that's what I have in my notes. I actually made notes here. That's what I have here <laughs> is from college 2011 to 2016, the sushi to end all sushis. I have that here, which is hilarious because it started as about – maybe seven or to nine of us uh, who were still living in the area. Uh, we had this Facebook chat where whenever Mike came home, you know, Christmas, reading week, summer, we would plan sushi lunches. We still do that now when, yep. when, when the restaurants are open, we still do that. And that slowly evolved into uh, a Slack channel. And it's evolved into this Discord channel now where there's eight of us from, from high school. And honest to God, like this channel is so active. You'd think there's like 50 people on it. <laughs> <laughs> Every day, like we have different channels in terms of uh, like just uh, we have different um, pages based on you know, movies, games, memes, meeting up. Uh, we have our cottage trips that we do every year. 
And I, I, I love our friend group so much just because that like we haven't lost touch after 10 years now of being out of high school. Yeah, sure. A couple people have fallen away since then, which is which was expected. But I mean, now just, you know, going, you know, from the college years uh, into adulthood from 2016 to now, um, we're still, you know, really good friends and we, we plan cottage trips every year. Uh, it's usually seven of us that go to it, uh, at least. And I'm, I'm super happy that, you know, Mike and I, we're, we're not like the Mike and I are still, you know, best friends, but we also have these five or six other guys that, that we're, we've managed to hang on to for so long, which, you know, when I talk to some other people that I know from school, they know nobody from their yeah. high school, let alone you and I, who have been, we've been friends since we were eight years old. Yeah, I know. It's pretty rare. I'm very thankful for it and thankful that we've been able to go on trips and uh, go to concerts together. You know, you yeah. and I have been to many, many, many concerts together. So many yes. that we I made a little scrapbook for you for your birthday uh, a <laughs> oh, couple love, years ago. <laughs> I love that scrapbook. That is next level. Concerts are a huge thing for you and I now, especially since we don't do a ton of gaming together unless it's in person. We don't really do the online gaming thing. I kind of consider this our hangout of the week and then concerts is when we meet in person. Yeah, and of course we've been able to do some great trips together. Uh, Neil and I went to uh, Cleveland, Cleveland, and then New York. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, Neil somehow drove across Pennsylvania uh, <laughs> without getting out of the car uh, for six hours. Uh, just and you're like, I'm gonna make it. We're yeah. <laughs> yeah, it got to a point where we just had to stay in the car. We had enough. To, we had enough gas in the tank. You you slept for half of it, which yes. made it easier. We I don't know. Just we had a great. That was a fun summer. That was 2016. We drove from Toronto to Cleveland to Cleveland to New York back to Toronto. Yeah. Which is a combined 20... Close to 20 hours. 20 to 24 hours probably yeah. of driving, which we shared right down the middle. But there was that one day when, yeah, you slept. And <laughs> that's one of the greatest accomplishments of my life is driving across Pennsylvania without stopping. That's on your resume, if I'm if I'm not mistaken. Oh, yeah. It's on, <laughs> that's all that's on my LinkedIn profile. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, now, you know, 20 years of being friends, we have this, uh, the number one GameCube podcast on the internet. Uh, we've, we've never fought. Like, we've never had a fight. I can't think of any time I was seriously mad at you. No. No. Uh, I'm trying to think. I wish we have. Yeah. I wish that, I wish, I wish listeners out there that I could say that we've had a fight. We had like a, you know, F you, F you, or, you know, haven't, I went six months without talking to Mike. I don't think I've gone more than a few weeks without at least chatting with you online. I'm sure I've been miffed at you for things, especially when you're in high school, because that's oh. how teenagers are. Yeah. Uh, but I, I can't remember ever a time being like, I'm putting Neil on timeout, you know? No. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> especially not. Yeah. No, same with you. Like, I don't think I've ever, maybe in high school, maybe in high school, but even then, I don't know. 2022? That's going to be, that's going to be your fight. Maybe. Yeah. Well, we're going to document it here. Okay. If, if we miss a week, you'll know that that's because we fought. We were having a fight. <laughs> That's right. So, I mean, like, if the listeners out there, if you ever wonder why we missed a week, it's probably because Mike and I finally snapped and we divorced and we had a huge fight. The kids have all separated. We have two Christmases now. And we'll be back in a few weeks after our lawyers discuss it. Yeah, I mean, we've had we've had 20 years together. That's we, we, We've had a good run. We, we Yeah, we have. It's time for us to sleep in separate beds. <laughs> Mike, on that note, why don't you let the listeners know what they can expect next week on episode 54 of the GameCube with School podcast. Episode 54 of the podcast is going to be a very special one for us because we are having a great uh, game writer who is going to be on the show, uh, Kate Gray. She's going to be talking about Harvest Moon games 
because Neil and I have no knowledge about Harvest Moon games, unfortunately. No. No. Uh, we, you know, me especially, I really like the the sim world of, of uh, Animal Crossing, but obviously Harvest Moon is a bit different, so we wanted to get someone who really knew their stuff. I did some research. I found some of Kate's amazing articles on Harvest Moon that she's written for Nintendo Life, and I thought, you know what? Let's get Kate on here because mm. she's going to have some great insight. And I'm just really excited to talk to her about Harvest Moon games and just writing for video games in general. What's that like? Yeah, no, I'm very excited about that because like we're not video game journalists and we've had a few writers on the show now. But, you know, Kate's going to be a really good, uh, really good voice to have on to talk about Harvest Moon or Story of Seasons for the casuals out there that might not know. Uh, a franchise that, yeah, you and I don't have any experience with farming <laughs> simulators. Like I, I like to grow tomatoes. I love in my- Farmville. I, oh, I can't, it's a it's a full time job. Why is that a game? Anyway, I I'm 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 hope I'm hopeful that she can make me a believer in this in this genre of games because we talked about on the Animal Crossing episode. I am not a big fan of games where you basically are given a job and that's the point of the game or life sims as we talked about. But uh, I'm very excited for that episode. Yep, me too. Me too. Me too. But until then, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to episode 53 of the GameCube is Cool podcast. We have new episodes every Thursday on all the major podcast services. Leave us ratings and reviews so we can make the show better. If you want to support the show, you can find us on Patreon. We are The GameCube Was Cool. You can also follow us on Instagram. We are at The GameCube Pod. Share us with your friends and family. Tell Shamu, Mike says hi. Thank you so much for the support, and we will see you next week. Bye, Shamu. What, what sound does an orca make? GameCube. Over 600 games you've never heard of. GameCube. The product of what happens when you think inside the box. GameCube.